we want to continue worshiping in God's Word this morning. And so if you have your Bible with you, I encourage you to turn to Acts 15, which you're going to see on the screens in front of you. And as we will often do, I want to encourage you to read along with us. If you have a smartphone app, uh, that is an important thing to use in this moment. But I don't ever want us to underestimate a hardback or paper copy of the Bible. Because when you try to get off the grid and read from God's Word, you don't want to be interrupted or distracted from what He might be saying. So we have Bibles available to you. They are scattered throughout the church. Take one with you if you do not have one. We would be honored for you to have that resource. But before we get into what God is going to teach us through the life of Barnabas and his fellow follower of Christ, a man named Paul, I want to pose a question that the church has been dealing with for centuries. And the question is this, what do you do and how do you respond when someone makes a mistake? What do you do and how do you respond when someone makes a mistake? Now, one of the most memorable things that I remember in recent cultural events of someone who made a mistake and the vast differences of response comes to us from the sporting world. Now, those of you who are Chicago Cubs fans, this is going to sting just a little bit. But in 2003, in the pennant race against the Florida Marlins, the Chicago Cubs were four outs away from their first World Series in nearly 50 years while they were aiming for their first world championship since 1908. It's the bottom or it's the top of the eighth inning. They're four outs away and the batter at the plate hits a foul ball down the third base line. The Cubs are up three nothing. It's a pop-up. The left fielder goes over to make the play. You assume he catches it. They punch out three more outs in the ninth inning and they're now one world championship victory away from hoisting that banner again. There was a man at the plate. He popped it foul, and when the ball went to foul, it landed right near where the wall and foul territory is. As the player reached up for it, a fan reached out instinctively to grab the foul ball. I don't know if you remember this, but I want to put this image on the screen. The gentleman in the black sweatshirt and the blue hat reaches out instinctively to grab the foul ball, to have a souvenir from the 2003 National League pennant game, and he impedes the ability for Moises Alou, the left fielder, to catch the ball. Now, some people debate whether or not the ball was in foul territory, and he has every right to it, or whether it was in fair territory. Another angle shows a little bit different perspective. I let you decide where you think he tried to make this catch. But I'm not going to call the gentleman in the picture by name because I think he has been talked about enough and would rather us not mention his name this morning. But this gentleman, because he impeded this catch and it did not happen, the left fielder, Moises Alou, went on to be so frustrated and irate with him. The Cubs blew the lead, lost the game, and lost game seven, and didn't make it to the World Series that year. Now, spoiler alert for those of you who don't keep up with sports, in 2016, the Cubs won the world championship, and all, as they say, is forgotten. But in this moment, there were those who mistreated and talked so harshly to this gentleman. They couldn't believe the mistake that he made and what it had cost them, that they verbally and physically threw things at him, and the police escorted him out of here. There were no less than six police officers that were stationed outside of his front door at home. He even changed his phone number because of the harassing calls that came his way. As people said, you made a mistake, and there's no forgiveness for that. 
But there were others who said, listen, yes, he may have made a mistake, but people make mistakes all the time. Can't we, can't we look past this? Can't we forgive the mistake that this man didn't mean to make, but he did, and on a grand stage at that. You know, the question of what we do and how we respond to people who make mistakes is not new. And I don't think they played baseball in the first century, although I don't know. But the local church has always needed to know how to respond when people fail, when they make mistakes. What do we do? And maybe you are in the midst of walking through a mistake that you made and you're curious how people will respond. Or maybe someone in your life has made a mistake and you don't know how to respond. Or maybe you will need a mistake and you know how you want them to respond. But as we examine the life of Barnabas, we're going to see this morning two different responses to someone's failure. And how both responses are not necessarily wrong, but the church may actually need both of these responses. I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to see exactly what I'm talking about from Scripture. So would you stand with me in honor of God's Word as we read from Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. We'll read this together. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the brothers and the sisters in every town where we have preached the word of the Lord. And let's see how they're doing. Verse 37. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and who had not gone on with them to the work. Verse 39. Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement about whether or not to take John Mark that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord. He traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul would have none of it. And the disagreement was so sharp that they parted company and went separate ways. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are good. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear how we should respond when we encounter those who have made mistakes. I pray that you would teach us not only from the life of Barnabas, but from your follower, the Apostle Paul. Because your servants and your church are listening, we ask that you would speak this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Well, last week when we concluded in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, we saw that Paul and Barnabas were sent out. They were commissioned from the church at Antioch to go on a missionary journey. It was the first of three missionary journeys that Paul would go on to share the gospel with people throughout the geographic region. And as Paul and Barnabas traveled, they planted churches. And as they preached and planted, there was a follower of Jesus named John Mark who was with them. John Mark traveled with them as they planted and preached in churches. Now, we don't see that right here prior to this passage in chapter 15, but we see it earlier in the book of Acts. John Mark was with them. 
And the Bible tells us in Acts 13, 13, the Bible tells us in Acts 13, 13, that when they came to an area called Pamphylia, the scriptures on the screen, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. But John, who is also called John Mark, but John Mark left them and went back to Jerusalem. That John Mark, who was one of their companions on a gospel-centered church preaching and planting mission trip, decided to leave them in the middle of the mission journey and go back to Jerusalem. Now, Luke is incredibly descriptive with what he shares in his book, the book of Acts. Luke, a follower of Jesus who was a physician, is descriptive just like a physician would be descriptive in surgery. This happened here. This, by poking and prodding, we see leads to this. So we have indication that John Mark left them on the missionary journey. What is interesting is that Luke doesn't tell us why he left them. Luke doesn't tell us why John Mark left them. But as best we can tell, it doesn't seem to be some moral or ethical failure. As best scholars can tell, it wasn't a moral or an ethical failure, but it could have been something else. Maybe he was simply homesick. Now, the journey where they were going from Paphos to Pergamum, uh, the, these places where they were going, are very treacherous. It's a difficult journey. It's not easy. Maybe he just couldn't hang and said, I'm tapping out. I'm going home. Maybe he was stressed. Maybe he was scared. Maybe he looked at Paul and Barnabas and said, you guys are so confident in your gifting and what God's called you to do in the church. Maybe he thought, I just don't have what it takes. And maybe he decided to pack it in under the pressure and go home. So interesting because for hundreds, if not thousands of years, biblical scholars have debated on why John Mark bailed on him. But the bottom line is when they counted on him and when they needed him most, he left them. He left them. And in verse 38 that we just read a moment ago, look at what it says. When Barnabas wanted to take John Mark along, Paul says, no, he's guilty of deserting us. Verse 38, this man who deserted us will not be invited to continue journeying with us. John Mark had made a mistake. He had failed in Paul's estimation of being their committed companion and committed to the mission of the gospel. And when we see here in Acts 15, not only had Paul and Barnabas been sent out by the church at Antioch to preach and to plant churches, but they now have decided, after circling back to Antioch and staying there to preach and teach and disciple the followers at Antioch, Paul says, let's go back out and check on the health and the well-being of these churches. Paul wants to go back out again. And so in verse 36, we just read that. Paul says, let's go back and visit these churches where we preached and where we planted. In verse 37, Barnabas suggests they bring along Mark for the journey. And because Paul felt that, Barnabas, or that Mark had failed... When the chips were down, he didn't want to take him. He's done with him. But Barnabas wants to take John Mark along. And the disagreement between the two of how to respond to someone who had failed on the mission was so sharp and so strong that they split company. Now, this is no small thing. These men had known each other for at least 15 years. And when Paul came to faith in Christ, there were those who didn't want anything to do with Paul. Because when he was originally known as Saul, he had persecuted and murdered, helped murder Christians, martyr them, 
who had followed Jesus. There were many in the church who were skeptical that a person can be changed and start anew. And Barnabas was one of the men who had stood up for Paul to say, no, God is at work in this man's life. You can trust him. Like they owed so much of their stories to one another. This is no small parting of company. But the disagreement on how to respond to someone who has failed in the mission of the church was so strong. Paul's ready to move on. Barnabas wants to give him a second chance that they split company. And as I mentioned, for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, scholars and other Christians have debated who is right and who is wrong. Is Paul right in saying, you know what, you failed, see you later, we got to press on. Is Barnabas the one who's right to say, listen, I know he failed, he made a mistake, but let's give him a second chance. Who's right and who is wrong in this scenario is usually how the circumstances are framed. But one of the things I want us to do is I want us to look at Paul and Barnabas' thoughts and their actions in this process to determine maybe who is right and who is wrong. Paul felt that John Mark's mistake of leaving had disqualified him from the mission. He felt that Mark had disqualified himself from the ministry. Paul is very bold. He's very blunt. And he didn't like anyone making a choice or an action that might potentially compromise the truth and the commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul didn't want to take somebody with him that when the, when the stakes are high and people press you on what you believe, and is this Jesus really real under persecution, he didn't want to take anybody with him that might wilt as they had in the past. Now, we don't have any indication that Paul looked down on Mark or that he judged him. We don't have any indication that Paul was judging him. It's just simply that Paul felt like, you made a mistake, I need to move on. I can't trust you, nor do I want to babysit you. See you later. Mark had faltered in some way, and Paul is ready to move forward and not waste any time. I don't know if you've ever been in a similar situation where you felt that way. Somebody failed your expectations, they told you they'd do something, and they bailed on you. And you're just ready to cut ties and move on. Like, look, I just, I, I gotta go. I need to know who's with me and who I can trust, and I clearly can't trust you. I'll see you later. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I don't know if you've ever made a mistake and somebody acted that way to you. you. You wanted them to give you a second chance. You wanted another opportunity to prove yourself trustworthy, and they said, I need to move on, and you're not part of that moving on. That's how Paul responded. But Barnabas often is being viewed in this scenario as being a little bit too lenient, too gracious, overlooking John Mark's faults literally to a fault. The Bible tells us that Barnabas was an encourager, Barnabas is an encourager, and the Bible says he is a gracious man and full of the Spirit. And Barnabas was just as passionate about the mission of God as Paul was. Barnabas is just as passionate about sharing the gospel with people as Paul was. But he's a little bit more sympathetic and a little bit more compassionate than Paul was. Doesn't make Paul wrong, doesn't make Barnabas right. I mean, in this room, there's probably people that are super compassionate, super grace-filled, and there's probably other people that are super blunt and super straightforward. And you, you don't have to put yourself in either category if you don't want to. But, like, there's probably that representation in our church family as there was in the church at Antioch. Barnabas is an encourager, and he is motivated by giving people second chances. He wants to give, potentially, Mark the chance to prove himself again. 
But there's also another layer, like you don't see this right here in Acts 15. But later, when Paul was imprisoned for the sake of the gospel, he wrote to the church in Colossae. He wrote to the church in Colossae later. It's in Colossians 4, and it's in verse 10. And I want to put this verse on the screen. When Paul wrote to the Christians at Colossae, he said this. There's a guy named Aristarchus, who is my fellow prisoner. He sends you greetings, as does Mark. That's the Mark we're talking about. Who's actually Barnabas' cousin. Now, we don't read about that in Acts 15, but we read about it later. And that's what happens if you don't read the full complement of Scripture. That's why you and I can't cherry-pick certain passages that we like and the ones we don't like. Like, we need to read the full complement of Scripture. And what we find out is that Mark was actually Barnabas' cousin. Talk about a weird and odd Thanksgiving if Barnabas had said, You're right, Paul. See you later, John Mark. There's another layer. They're family. So Barnabas is not only more gracious and compassionate, but he's also looking out for his extended family and saying, let's give this guy another chance. I don't know if you feel that way about people. I mean, people who fail, they make mistakes, and you want to give them another chance. You want to give them another shot. Or maybe you have failed, and and you long and want people to to give you a second opportunity to be totally like Barnabas and to be gracious and compassionate. Paul responded with the truth of the gospel. There's too much at stake to take someone with us who failed. I'm not judging him, but I don't have time for him. I need to move on. There's Barnabas who says, look, he made a mistake. Let's take him with us. He's just as important to the mission. Barnabas is speaking with grace. Paul is speaking with truth. And the thing I'd like to suggest to us is, what if we don't view it as who's wrong and who's right, but what if we looked at it as they both are bringing a valid point to the table? They're both bringing a valid conviction to the table. Paul, who is saying we need people in the church who are committed to the gospel, who will not water it down, and who are faithful to tell people about Jesus, even if it's hard, even if it's challenging, even if it costs them something. When Paul thinks, behaves, and acts that way, do do you know what he's manifesting? He is manifesting the work of the risen Jesus in his life. The same Jesus who was so committed to the truth of God's redemptive plan that even in the face of persecution, even in the face of hardship, even in the face of being laughed at, spit upon, and beaten, was still committed to the truth and would not compromise and allowed himself to be nailed to the cross for the sin, to forgive the sins of humanity. That's the truth of the gospel. Paul is manifesting the truth of the gospel in his life. That's Jesus in and through him. Now, it would be helpful, perhaps, let me just go there, if Paul could say what he means and do it a little bit nicer. I, I tell the staff here all the time, it's not just what you say, it's how you say it. And oftentimes, wouldn't we like people to wrap that brick in velvet before they throw it at us? Like, before you hit me between the eyes with the truth, can you, just, can you just make it nice, just at least pleasant when you share that with me? Absolutely, Paul could, could have his edges polished just a little bit, but what he's saying is the church needs women and men who are committed to the truth of the gospel and who will not buckle under pressure and will not stop advancing that good news. We need those men and women in the church. But we also need women and men in the church who are like Barnabas. We also need women and men in the church who are saying, look, we, I mean, when Barnabas says, look, can't, can't we give him another chance? Can't, can't we just cut him some slack? Can't we just, you know what Barnabas is doing? 
Barnabas is expressing the work of the risen Jesus manifested in his life. Jesus, who said to you and me, you don't deserve a second chance. You can't measure up. You're not good enough. But I choose to lay down my life in exchange for yours so that through your faith in me, I will apply my righteousness to your brokenness, and I will redeem you, restore you, and raise you to new life. Second chances, do-overs. Yes, in Christ. That's what the cross and the resurrection is all about. Barnabas is channeling his inner manifestation of the work of the Spirit in his life to say, Jesus gave us a second chance, Paul. There go I, but by the grace of God. What about him? Can't we extend grace to him? And the church needs people, just as we need people that are committed to the mission, we need people who are gracious. And when you're gracious to someone, hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying you approve of whatever failure or mistake the individual may have made. It's not what I'm saying. I know there's a lot of scenarios that could be represented in our families or in the workplace where you're like, Aaron, but if we're gracious, that lets them know like that we just forget everything. That's not what I'm saying. And we don't have time to tease that out completely. But if Jesus Christ has been gracious and kind to us when we did not deserve it, Barnabas puts the example before, should we not also extend the grace and the compassion of Jesus to others? And what we see is not so much which one is right and which one is wrong, but what if the church needs both? What if the church needs men and women who are full of truth and the church needs men and women who are full of grace? And I think that's the paradox that we live in as Christians in 2018, that we need to live with truth and conviction about the gospel, but we also need to do it in a way that extends grace and the opportunity for new life to others. And that's what Paul and Barnabas are wrestling about here. Now, one of the things I love about this story, I mean, if you ask me, hey, what's one of your favorite stories in the Bible? This is not it. Like, this is complicated and this is messy. If anyone in this room is like Acts 15, verses 36 through 41, like, those are my favorite. That's like, come see me after because you're the only person I know that absolutely loves this story. It's complicated. It's messy. It's not going to be wrapped up in 25 minutes of a sermon. Like, it's just not but I think this scenario speaks to the authenticity of Scripture. It's messy, it's complicated, and God's Spirit included it in the Word that we have in our hands so that we would see not only were saints susceptible to mistakes and failures and broken individuals saved and redeemed by the good news of Jesus, but we too live with that paradox. One of the reasons we asked the mentors in our mentor relationships ministry to read The Grace and Truth Paradox by Randy Alcorn is to know how to engage effectively with women and men that they are connected with through a mentor relationship so that we can handle appropriately and say the truth when we need to, but also do it with grace and with redemptive windows of hope. And that's where we live. And you don't get here. Paul brings something to the table. Barnabas brings something to the table. We do not get to the place where we carry both the truth and the grace of the gospel without abiding and spending time with the one who provides both, and that's Jesus. You don't get there without it. And so we don't become truthful and gracious people just from one sermon or from one worship service. It's over and over and over and over and over again abiding with Jesus in relationship with him where he fills us with his character and his nature to be truthful and bold when we need not to compromise on the gospel and say, I will not let anything get in my way of being faithful to what he's called me to do. And so here's one of the things I want you to do. As a follower of Jesus, if you're not praying that the Lord would give you the resolve 
and give you the ability to be faithful and truthful to the gospel in your life, in your career, in your relationships. You need to be praying that because that's who provides it. And you should also pray that the Lord would allow you to be truthful and honest and straightforward with the people in the places where you live, where you work, and where you play. Maybe there's someone in here who needs to pray that you would have the courage and the boldness to live that way in a situation that's playing out in your life right now or in the years ahead. But there's some of us in the room who need to be praying that the Lord would cause us to be more gracious, to be more compassionate to others, even if they don't deserve it. None of us deserve salvation, but the Lord graciously extended it to us at a great, deep, rich cost. And so maybe there are women and men in the room who need to pray. Maybe as a follower of Jesus, you need to pray, Lord, help me to be more gracious to others. And for me, this is how this plays out. I, I listen first and speak second. I listen first and speak second. Because oftentimes you can say what you think in your flesh right off, right off the front of your head, and, and it's not redemptive, it's not helpful. It may be true. But for some of us, maybe we just simply need to think through what Jesus has done for us and how we can extend that grace to others. What if neither of them are wrong, but both of them are right in a certain way, and the church needs both truth and grace? My prayer for us as the church at Avenue South is that we will be known as people who love Jesus more than anything else, that people who are committed without compromising on the mission he's given us to take the whole gospel to the whole person here in this community in the city in Middle Tennessee. I don't want us to flinch on that. I want us to be committed to that, galvanized in our resolve and our commitment. But I also want us to be gracious people, people who understand that some will not believe what we believe. And as I said 30 minutes ago, we're still going to love them with the truth, but we're going to be gracious towards them. People that are gracious to those who have failed, who have made mistakes, to encourage them to seek the redemption and the restoration that Jesus offers that we can't provide to them. My prayer is that we will be committed to the truth just like Paul was, but that we will be gracious in doing it and we will have a reputation in our community for people who want God's best in other people's lives, whether they're part of our church family or whether they're not. And the scripture that we have here today reminds us that you cannot get to this place as a church or as a person without an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. It does not happen. Here is how good our God is. In the midst of two Christians who disagreed, which I know that never happens today, right? Like everybody gets along in the church. Yay! Like here is how good our God is. Barnabas took John Mark. Paul took Silas. And the gospel continued to advance and actually multiplied as a result of two people who had a sharp disagreement. That's another sermon for another time. But even in the midst of two people who had conflict, and who disagreed, the Lord is still like, oh, okay, here we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this work for the good of everybody involved. He is so faithful and he is so good to us. But he wants us to be characterized by truth and grace. And it does not happen without an abiding relationship with Jesus. So here's what I would encourage you to do as we see the life of Barnabas and Paul today and consider what Jesus was doing in their life and what he might be doing in ours. I want to encourage you to just close your eyes and, and bow your heads for just a moment. 